You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Scottish Football Forums podcast. Um, we've got a treat for you because it's the two Johns that are doing a guest special tonight. Um, John, how are you? I'm good. I don't know if you can call it a treat, the two of us being on. I think maybe the treat's the guest. Yeah, oh, it's definitely always the treat's the guest. And um, another special one tonight, former Aberdeen Rangers, Bradford, um, Dundee United and former Scotland National, Stephen Wright. Stephen, welcome along. How are you? Pleasure, John. Both Johns. I'm just not so sure if this is a treat either, by the way, but um, <laughs> happy to come on and chat. No problem. Yeah, definitely. So, how are you coping with, um, you know, current current times? Yeah, it's been it's been pretty pretty boring now. I think after the second lockdown, the first lockdown was was tough, obviously for everybody. But you know, get into a routine with the obviously being in charge of the academy and getting things organised with the boys and doing different Zooms and getting stuff sent out. And it was actually quite good because it was nice weather and the boys could get out and practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we managed to get back out into training again in September time, which was good, obviously within the COVID restrictions. And then obviously the second lockdown has hit and it's, you know, we tried to sort of pick up again, but I think just everybody in general is getting a bit fed up now, aren't they? And it's, it's we're, just, we're just waiting for the green light to get back into some sort of normality. But obviously, listen, we understand the the problems the country's had and, and um, you know, and obviously people now starting to get the vaccine, et cetera, which is good. So we just have to be patient and get, and hopefully get back as soon as possible. Yeah, that's definitely a key thing. And um, I know that both Boris Johnson and Nicholas Sturgeon have set out roadmaps. People can take whatever they want from the road um, the roadmaps. Um, we'll leave that for other people to discuss. Um, in terms of yourself, um, how did the, um, what does, I know your title is Head of um, Academy at Dundee, but what does the role actually entail for those who aren't quite aware? So working with academies, so effectively you're working with under 18s all the way down to sort of pre-academy. Um, so you've got every age level, you know, 18s right down to under 11s. You've then got sort of pre-academy boys. So the, the, the boys who come in at the young age levels and train with you. Um, so effectively overseeing all that. Um, I've been doing that now for two years. It's obviously, it's, I think it's just coming up for two years actually since I've been at Dundee. Um, so I've been in this role for two years and, and really enjoying it actually. It's a good club and um, good people working at the club. Um, you know, working with good good staff as well in the academy. So really enjoying it, yeah. Yeah. How challenging has it been? Because obviously when you took over Dundee and Dundee were still a Premier League club, they get relegated that year, so know that some budgets would have been cut. And then when COVID hits, you probably see more cuts. Um just talk about some of the challenges that you've been facing in those um, two years, because I imagine there's they've been plenty. Yeah, well to be honest, when I first went in there wasn't many cuts because um, you know, the academy was kind of established, it was up and running. Jimmy Boyle had, was actually my predecessor. He had done a good job in getting it to a good level. And then Jimmy went up to be assistant manager at Jim McIntyre when I first went into the club. Um, so so going in there and, you know, just trying to go in and, um, you know, just try and kind of, um, you know, make the academy better, what have you. And and, and then obviously um, we, we managed to get up to a good level, actually, with Gordon Strachan had come in and was as a kind of technical director at the club which was brilliant for me in particular um, because he came in and he was helping out the academy, helping out the academy coaches. Um, 
you know, because his role, his role in the club is is as technical director or, or or sporting director, whatever it is, is to be there for the manager um, and and obviously to then help the coaches at the academy. So I've probably spent most times with Gordon, um, and he comes in and he wants to help with the with the coaches and uh, put on little events for them and do sessions and watch games as well. So I'd I've spent lots of times with you know time with him and. So he came in. He came in probably um, a good few months before COVID hit the first time around, um, and we actually got to a point where we were actually doing pretty well in terms of the academy. And I don't mean, in, um, you know, because obviously we our, our job is to produce players for the first team, and we, we have managed to get some boys, albeit they're not my boys, because you know the job that Jimmy done prior and the coaches. There's, there's boys in and around the first team at this moment in time, so we were actually in a good place. Um, and then COVID hit, and then, and then obviously there's cuts everywhere. Every every club has, has faced cuts, um, and it was public knowledge, for, for, you know, from Dundee's point of view that um, you know the academy was hit, and a lot of the academy staff, coaches, etc., were hit. And um, so I remember sitting, uh, you know, the first time in lockdown and faced with quite a few cuts, and um, you know the coaches, the coaches had to be made volunteers, etc., and a lot of the staff in the academy. So it was. It was tough times, but I've got to say, the staff have been absolutely brilliant at the, at the club, the academy staff in particular, because they've managed to come back in. You know, from that period where I said they were back in training from September right through to December, they were they came in and they were brilliant. We managed to continue our facilities that we had, so I don't think there was actually any notice, notice, noticeable differences from any anybody to to say that you know we were affected, um, and it's all thanks to the the coaches that came in. And we've probably just now started to sort of pick up in that again. And, and, you know, obviously now the second lockdown has hit. We're hoping when we get back, um, we should get back to hopefully when, when up, back up and running properly, we should be get to get to an even keel again. Yeah, let's hope so. I mean, it's good that you've not been hit um, as severe as maybe other clubs um, they know might have done. But um, obviously, it's been difficult for the club this season with no fans. Like every other club in Scotland, obviously, no fans getting in. Um, it's very limited income, other than paying for streams and TV. Um, you know, is there a fear that you know it could happen again, or have you had assurances from Gordon and others to say that it might not be as bad this year? I don't know what's kind of happens higher up. You know, we've just got to we've just got to continue working what we're doing at the moment. Um, you know, if we can get back up and and you know the, the coaches come back in again and we can get the facilities back up and running again, then it's just a case of as is, you know, and then see what happens higher up and hopefully we can start getting some fans through the doors for all clubs to to start generating some money again. Um, certainly that be that would be fantastic for all clubs um, all across the country. See, in a normal situation in terms of being like head of the academy, what are the kind of main challenges anyway in terms of dealing with kind of young kids and then keeping them engaged? Would you say? Yeah, I think. I think are you talking about at the moment, John, or are you talking just in normal circumstances? Uh, in normal circumstances, even. Uh... Um, yeah, I mean, listen, it's our job effectively is to try and produce players for the first team, but you're 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 dealing with, with young kids who are eight, nine, ten years old, you know, so it's a long journey. Um and I suppose it's you, you've got to try and create an environment where where players are comfortable coming in and training and, and the, the families are comfortable as well coming in. They're, they're comfortable with the coaches, the coaches the, the coaching that the boys are getting. And for parents to understand that it is a journey 
Um, you know, and it's there's no there's no short term fix on it because it's it's long term and there's no guarantees that every young kid that comes into academies is, is you know is going to make it all the way is going to have is going to have a career in football. So the journey is just being honest with, with parents, being honest with the players, um, making sure that they come in, making sure they have fun, making sure they work hard, they, they enjoy making mistakes, and they want to keep coming back for more and they keep practicing. So all these sort of things, and you know, and there's nothing better when you see. When you see the pitch full of players, you know, running about, playing small sided games, making mistakes, um, and just having a smile on their face and, and and coming off, we always say we like we like to see sweat and smiles. So, you know, as, as long as they're working hard and as long as they're smiling at the end of it, then that's that's the most important thing. But um the challenges you face, um, you know, is obviously you have, you have to make decisions on players every year because the registrations that we carry, you know, they only, they only last one year. So, you know, that's the biggest challenges is, is you know, maybe not retaining players at the end of some seasons, um, which that's, that, can be, that can be tough at times. But I think if you're, if you're dealing with, with parents properly and you're explaining to them and you're speaking to, to players during the season properly, then, um, you know, hopefully the decisions made at the end of the season are ones that shouldn't come as a surprise to them, you know? Yeah. And then see, like, when if players are kind of maybe getting released or kind of moved on, is there any kind of assistance from the club to try and help them find other clubs are there, or does it just? Yeah, yeah. Listen, we've got we've got contacts all over the city in terms of the grassroots level. So you know, you have you, you maybe have boys who maybe feed back into the into the boys clubs again. Yeah. Um, obviously, we'll speak to clubs. Um, you know, the sort of in League One and League Two that have got academies that are maybe geographically quite near Dundee as well. And depending on where the boys are from, we would obviously then, you know, try and feed the boys back into clubs as quick as possible. So, we, you know, you've got a duty of care to try and do that as, as quick as possible. Um, and, and you know, and, and every player will find their level, you know, whatever age they are, they'll find their level. Um, and it does, listen, it, it gets tougher every year because as they get older, the competition gets gets a little bit fiercer and as it gets to, you know, 16s, 17s, 18s, it then gets tougher again. Um, and the toughest bit is obviously getting from under-18s into the first team. That's always been the challenge. Um, but in terms of generally working in the academy from the younger age levels, it's just coming in and having fun, working hard um, and just making mistakes because, you know, the boys are going to make mistakes all the time. Yeah, definitely. So see between now and from when you first broke through and you were in academies at Aberdeen, what kind of differences would you say you, you see now to then? Oh, it's completely different, John, because we, it was S forums back in the day, which you guys, being so young that you are, probably don't remember S forums. Um, so what happened? I was from Hamilton. I was from the West. Um, so we would just play boys club. So 10 years, 11 years, 12 years old, you would play boys clubs and we would have... There would be scouts from different clubs. There were scouts back in the day. There was Aberdeen, Dundee United, Rangers, Celtic, Hearts, Hibs scouts. And they would come and watch games of your boys' clubs. So what would tend to happen there is if someone liked, liked, liked you, they would then offer for you to go and train with them. So it happened with me when I was 12 years old, I think, playing with a team called Mill United in Hamilton, which was a you know pretty good pretty good boys club um, throughout the years I was playing with Mill United and um, I was spotted with the Aberdeen scout and he was a brilliant man Jimmy Carswell I don't know if you ever ever remember the name I think he was actually the scout that, that found Willie Muller and Alex McLeish back in the day okay. 
an absolute gentleman. So he was based in the West. So he would come and watch the games. Um, you know, and he'd, he was always suited and booted. He was an absolute gentleman. He'd come and speak to the coaches after the game. My dad was actually the assistant manager of the boys' club that I played for. Right. And he would offer you to come and would you like to come and train with Aberdeen? So there was no guarantees or anything. We would just come and train. Every so often you would go and train with them. So they would have a centre in the West. So I did that and also was training with Dundee as well. Dundee had a scout and we did exactly the same. So um, I, I came to Dundee and trained sometimes um, during school holidays. We'd go to Aberdeen as well. So that's pretty much how it worked. You would train and then they would get to a point maybe they would then want to sign you as a schoolboy for them. So that meant that you would still play with your boys club right up until you were 15, 16 years old. And then you would be offered, if you were good enough at that point, you would be offered an apprenticeship with the, with the club. And I was... I was very lucky. I, I, I trained with both Dundee. Played, trained with Aberdeen. Aberdeen then asked me to sign a schoolboy form, an S form, which meant then that was it. I didn't train with Dundee anymore. It was just Aberdeen plus my boys' club. So I continued with my boys' club um, every school holiday, Easter, summer, October, Christmas. You would then go up for a week to Aberdeen with a busload of the boys from the west who were in the same position and some from the east down in the Fife area, etc. And it was a brilliant week we went up. You know, we stayed in a stayed in a hotel in the city and you would go in and train, um, train next to the first team, train next to the reserves. Um, and at that time, Alex Ferguson and Archie Knox were the first team managers. So they would, invariably, they're training and we're, we'd be training, coming on after them and training. And Alex Ferguson would come and watch our games because we used to have games organised at nights as well. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you remember the names George Adams, Lenny Taylor who yeah, were involved yeah. with the club at the time they kind of took us when we went up there um, on the weeks and there was loads of us and we would mix up with the Aberdeen base boys as well so we would, we would have games at nights against local amateur teams um, and then we would train during the day as well so it was, a, it was a brilliant week and probably the best part was at the end of the week on the Friday before you went back down the road in the bus Alex Ferguson would take us in, take you into the office individually we, Jimmy Carswell would come in and, and he would say hey, how did you enjoy that you did well this week um, and he would speak about the game that he watched and he would speak about some of the training that he watched and then he would say to you um, if you ever want to come to Ibrox or Parkhead to watch any of the games just get your dad to speak to Jimmy and we'll sort out a couple of complimentary tickets and you, you can come and watch so so we did that. My dad was on the phone to Jimmy all the time. You know, <laughs> Ray, Ray, Aberdeen are down at Ibrox or Aberdeen are down at Parkhead or wherever it may be. We would then go. Um, and amazingly, Alex Ferguson would come out at maybe quarter to two, two o'clock. I, I remember him coming out at the main door at Ibrox and looking for me and my dad. And he would have two tickets and we would, my dad would wander over and he would give us the tickets for the game. And that's, I mean, you're talking 19... So I was about 14, 15 years old. So you're talking 86, 1985, 86, 87, around about that time. Um, you know, winning leagues, in cups. Yeah. And he's still got time for a 14-year-old S form and his dad to, to bring him two tickets before a big match at Parkhead or Ibrox. And that was, I mean, you've heard a lot of stories about how he how he ran the club, how he ran mm-hmm. Man United and how he treated a lot of people and a lot of families and a lot of young players. And I can only speak about the experience I had, and it was it was brilliant for me. Aye, that must have been some buzz having. Um, did, you, did he come out to your house at all at any point? I know you've heard we've heard stories about him going down to players' houses to get him signed and different things like that. Was that? No, he didn't come to the house. No, that was Jimmy's job. Jimmy would come to the house every so often. Um, but Archie and Archie and 
um, Sir Alex Ferguson used to come down um, as well. Once a month, they would come down and train all the boys from the West. So we had a centre in Glasgow called Helenville. Um, I think it was in the East End of Glasgow, if I remember. So my dad used to take me through there every, every, every um, I don't know what night it was, but it was once a month. So Archie and Alex Ferguson used to come down and I would actually take us training on a Monday night or a Tuesday night, whatever it may be. Um, and you would, he would just train, you know, I can't remember what the training was like, but I remember in the change rooms before it, you would have the banter with the boys and, you know, and then the training would be, you know, I remember coming off thinking, that's Alex Ferguson actually taking your training there. You know, and for families to see that as well, for them making all the, you know, making that way down from Aberdeen to come and take training for all the boys from the West, it was, um, it was price. I actually remember one, one night that one of the boys who, who turned up in a Rangers strip and he was training with us that night at Aberdeen, <laughs> And Alex Ferguson got wind of that and he came into the changing room and he told and the boy must have been 13 or 14. Don't ever wear that strip again. And then he gave him his Aberdeen kit to wear for training. <laughs> so that just showed you he was well on the ball in the days. Yeah. Luckily it wasn't you. Um... Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be me. Yeah, we'll also come on more to that later. But um wait, obviously he, he then leaves the club and um Ian Porterfield takes over. I, I mean, what was the kind of um feeling towards that that change um, because obviously you knew it was the end of an era and there was almost a s- suspicion that um, Porterfield didn't really know what he was letting to sell in for God rest him. Yeah, well, I, to be fair, I didn't have much to do with him. I, I think I came up to sign full-time. I think it was 15 and a half when I moved up full-time and I think he had just taken over his manager because... Um, Obviously, Alex Ferguson had moved on, so Ian Porterfield came in, and he was only there two years. And it was mainly Jimmy Mullen, who was Ian Porterfield's assistant, who would take us. He would take the younger ones, so the young apprentices, the reserves. He would take them. So it was mainly Jimmy we had a relationship with, um, and we didn't really have much to do with the manager because, you know, he he we weren't really near the first team at that point, and he was just new in as a manager. And I don't, I think he only lasted a couple of years at the club, and and it wasn't. You know, I kind of I played when I first came up full time. I was um, what Aberdeen did in those days was they used to farm you out to a, to a local team when you were full time, and I, I hated it. I absolutely hated it. Um, so it was Aberdeen Lads Club I played for. Um, so, so I hated it because the boys that you're playing against knew you were from the west. They also knew <laughs> they also knew you played for Aberdeen, so you were so you were a target right away when you played when you played these games. So. You, know, you would train Monday to Friday with Aberdeen, obviously with the, the reserves and the youth team. You would then go and play the weekend with your with your local uh, amateur team, and and then you're you know you're not getting home at the weekends for maybe three or four weekends before you're getting home. So sometimes you're, you could go a month without, without seeing your mum and dad, and you're 15, 16 years old. That's that's quite a lot. Um, so it didn't last long. I, I, I luckily I, went, I managed to get into into the reserves fairly when I was fairly young. So that's what I put paid to to play in the lads club, but um, because back in the day, the you know the reserves always played on the Saturday as well. They played so if Rangers or Rangers, Aberdeen or Ibrox, then we would play Rangers reserves at, at Petodre on, on the oh, same I remember day. That, so, eh? so that would be the Saturday. Yeah. But looking back nowadays, I actually now know why Aberdeen done that as, as a club for the young players because it's it's almost a test of character. Can you go out and play locally? Okay, you might you might come up and sign sign for Aberdeen, um, but here you go. You're going to go back out and you're going to play and you're going to play in these pitches against these players and see how you handle it. So they probably they probably done it for a reason. I think 
you know, I think a lot of through the years, I think Aberdeen have always farmed out players to, to either Highland League clubs or, or local amateur clubs. So there's always a reason for for, for doing that. I were like, well, I'd rather. Yeah. yeah, that's the famous one. Always when I was a striker, didn't he? And then came back as a centre back. Peter Head, I think it was Peter Head. He went to yeah as a striker. Yeah, he came back. So no, I never went to Highland. I'm glad I never went to Highland League because that was <laughs> I'd have been tougher at that age. I think Aberdeen Lads Club was tough enough for me. Um, but no, they were great days, and I, you know, I now realise why they found me out at that point. But I was lucky enough to 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 break into the reserves fairly fairly early on in my Aberdeen career. You were part of a very um, special um, youth team because um, it obviously had likes of Ian Jess, uh, Scott Booth, the Watsons, uh, Greg and Graham um, were, were good players at that time. You know, um, that was that must have been a really um, good time to be looking to break through in the Aberdeen team. Could you sense um, that there was something special happening for yourself at that point? Um, not really. Not really. I mean, we, we actually didn't really we never did too well in the BP Cup it was a BP Cup in those days under 18s I, th- I think we maybe got beat in the semi-final so we never really got to the final I remember maybe a year or two before that Aberdeen won quite a famous one against Celtic they beat them 5-3 or 5-4 I've actually seen pictures of that recently he likes your Paul Wrights and Stevie Grays and, and you know these guys who, who were just a, just a wee bit older than us but, but we had a good really good group of players as you said the boys the Watsons and Ian and Scott, Michael Watt, um, you know, there's loads of players that, loads of players that you actually grow up with, you train with, you forget about, and I was one of the lucky ones that, you know, you, obviously you, you come in and you, I must have done well to, to then keep my place in the reserves, because that was probably the target then, is to, to get into the reserves, and to play in the reserves was, was brilliant, because you're playing, at, you're playing in stadiums when you're 16 and 17 years old, so you're playing maybe, I remember playing in the reserve game at Pataudry, um against Celtic. The first team were at Parkhead and I was playing against Peter Grant. Um, you know, I was 16, 17 years old and I used to watch Peter Grant playing for Celtic and you're thinking, wow, I can't believe I'm actually playing in the same pitch as him. And it's, it just shows you that, you know, when you when you go and you, you play against senior professionals as a young as a young player, and it's the exact same nowadays, you know, if we, we need to try and expose young players to, to playing men's football a, a little bit quicker and get them used to it. And that was great for us back in the day. We are going and playing like, playing in stadiums against guys that maybe like Sir Peter Grant maybe coming back from injury at Celtic, so they're playing a few games of the reserves. It was absolutely brilliant and great education for, for the guys who I grew up with as well. Um, I was waiting for you, John, but it's fine. I'll go in. Um, so <laughs> you, you make your breakthrough in the, the first team, um, the 1990-91 season. Um, do you remember much about your debut? Um, I think I actually made my debut at the end of 89-90. Oh, was I think, it? Right? I think it was, right, it was just it was the second last game, I think, against St Mirren at home. And it was myself and Scott, Be- Scott Booth who came on about 60 minutes and it was like simmering at home at Petaudry. Both of us were on the bench, and um, and both I, I came on for I think it was maybe Paul Mason. I came on for and I think Scott came on for Charlie Nicholas. Um, and I think we were drawn at the time. And I'm going to say I turned the game, but I didn't. But I think Scott scored actually. I think he came on. I, I think we ended up winning two or three one. So that was my first taste of first team football, being on the bench and coming on. Um, and then I think the following week, the first team. The first team were at Parkhead and I was on the bench again and I'm sure we won 
I think that was just just before the cup final. That's right. That was right. Just before the Scottish Cup final against Celtic. Um, Again, I was on the bench. I don't think I got. I don't think I got on that night. Um, So that was a sort of warm up to the to the cup final against um, against Celtic. So that was that was my taste of first team, and then obviously I was in the squad for the for the cup final. Um, I wasn't stripped or anything. I was, um, you know, obviously it was just I was just new. but no, that was a that was a, a brilliant end to the season, as you can imagine. You know, getting getting your debut and then being involved with the first team and they won the Scottish Cup, which was absolutely brilliant. Um, and then the, the following season, the following season, I actually didn't I didn't start the season. I was in I was still in the res- back into the reserves. Um, had a few appearances on the bench coming off coming off the bench, and it wasn't until um, I can't maybe maybe in the middle of the season I came in. And then um, I think that was me. I'd, I'd stayed in after that. Was there certain guys within the first team that kind of took you under their wing as a as a youngster? Can I look after you? Listen, John, I was really lucky in terms of the players that I grew up with and played with. I mean, I, as a young player, playing first and foremost, when I was playing with the reserves, Willie was coming to the end of his career at Aberdeen. So Willie was then sometimes playing in the reserves with us young lads and then he became the manager of the reserves. Um in fact, I remember, I remember the infamous five um, 0 game at McDermott Park when the first team get beat. You guys won't remember that. Oh, I do. I was there. I've not <laughs> been back to McDermott Park since, believe it or not. <laughs> Were you at that game, John? Yeah, um, it was. It was strange because we went into that game unbeaten, and then everything that could have went wrong went wrong. David Robertson gets sent off at one 0 and then we get battered that day. And St John's had just been promoted. Um, I've not deliberately went back. Um, not went back to it. <laughs> part just been a coincidence that I've not. <laughs> I played in the corresponding game at Petodre, the reserve game. Mm-hmm. I remember coming in. I remember coming in at half time. I think, and you'd be able to tell me more. You know. The first team were getting beat maybe two or three nothing at that point at half time, were they? Um, I think I can't remember if it was two or three not that point. Two or three nothing. But I, I remember tried to blind that game to be honest, Stephen. I remember coming in at half time and Wally was Wally and Teddy Scott were taking the reserves and I think I think they said to his first team are getting beat two or three nothing at McDermott. What a chance you guys have got to get into that first team. You know, it was almost a kind of motivation, right guys? The first team's getting beat. Um Keep getting, you know, going in the second half and make sure you do everything you can to get into that first team. So it was almost like in a, a motivational speech from Willie and Teddy. So that was the first, that was, you know, Willie was the first manager. Him and Teddy Scott. And Teddy Scott, listen, you probably heard stories about Teddy Scott. Teddy Scott was probably one of the biggest influences in my career as a young player coming up, as I said, from the West at 15 and a half, moving into digs. He was just brilliant for us. He was like a father figure. He, was, he did so much at the club. Um, you know, listen, Teddy's gone back decades at the club, but you know the, the the way that he was, the way he treated people, he was brilliant for us. He used to take training for us as well, took the reserves with, with him and Willie. Um, so yeah, so Willie, getting back to your question, John, Willie was the uh, was the manager at the reserves and telling us about that. And then, so then working with Willie, watching and and training with Alex McLeish, Stuart McKimmy, Jim Bay, Robert Connor. Um, you know, the list is endless in terms of international players, um, like the Brian Grant of this world, Paul Mason's the Dutch players were fantastic. So for me coming into a coming into a kind of environment to train and, and play, and I remember just watching Willie and Alec training. I just I just used to watch how they defended. Willie was you know, Willie was absolutely brilliant. And if you used to watch Willie defending, 
you can, you know you can then remember why Alex Ferguson said he was the best penalty box defender in, in Europe because yeah. the way that he just used to defend and it was difficult to explain but you just just actually watching and, and training alongside him um, and Alex McLeish as well and Stuart McKimmy was a massive he was a massive influence for me as well Stuart McKimmy even though I nicked his spot when I first first came in <laughs> thinking team. that yeah um, but he was uh, he was brilliant to watch and train as well in games. Um, so I was really lucky to, to to have grown up in an era with um you know these top internationals. Willie and Alec, come on, you know you, you can't get better central defenders than these guys at that, at that yeah. era. So to then come and play and and you know get in, into the first team, and I made my obviously then when I, when I first moved into the first team the, the season after that, John was um it was actually had a had a stroke of luck because you need luck to get into the first team as a young player. You need you know you need an opportunity. You need a bit of luck. Stuart McKimmy had. I think he'd got a, quite a bad injury. So um, Alex Smith, who was the manager then, turned to myself to then go and play it right back. And um, I must have done okay because he kept me in the team. And, he, you know, he, can, he kept me in the team even when Stuart was back fit and played Stuart at left back and centre back as well. So um, so I was I was playing as a young player, 18 years old, 19 years old, with, as I said, Jim Bay, Alex McLeish, Brian Irvin. I can't forget Brian Irvin, what a massive player he was for the club. Yeah. Um, Your favourite, John, isn't he? He was, yeah. Him and Ian Jess were my, my favourite players. Yeah. Um, Brian, I think, he was injured towards the end of the season, which is why Stuart went to centre-back. Because, um, you know, I asked Brian how, how disappointed he was missing out the last game. He says, well, he was injured. So, And plus, you were playing well right back, so um, it was difficult. Yeah, yeah. Brian was fantastic. I mean, the amount of goals that Brian scored as well, some of his finishing, I mean, I've seen a finish recently against Rangers of Pataudry. It's You know, Ian and Duncan Shearer would have been happy with the finish. Some of his finishes were ridiculous. Um, and he, he was a great player. He had a great relationship with Big Alec as well, obviously, in that centre-back. Yeah. Was there a lot of pranks when you were in digs and stuff like that? Did you share digs with some of our players or was it getting looked after by families? Stayed there. Um, my first digs were um, Paul Wright, Remember Paul Ray? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I shared a room with Paul. So there was two single beds in the room. So um, Paul was in the first team at the time and I was just obviously as a 15 and a half, 16 year old kid and he took me under his wing. So we stayed with a brilliant family. And it was just just up the road for the Northern Hotel, which is a which was a bar. So Paul used to take me down there every every Thursday night for a few pints with, um, <laughs> with a lad who stayed in the digs as well. So Paul looked after me, yeah. So he would he he showed me the ropes, took me for a pint now and again, and um and looked after me. So he was good. So I stayed with him for for a year, I think it was, and then I then moved into Digs, and we just we moved all over the place, different places. The Highland Guest House in Great Western Road was always a was always a place where there was Aberdeen had used for Digs. Um, I stayed with Greg Watson, Lee Gardner, and Andy Gibson. I don't know if you remember Andy Gibson and Lee Gardner um, yeah. and Greg Watson. So the four of us stayed there for a couple of years. So that was Honage. that was quite colourful. That was <laughs> that was good. Gibby Gibby was some boy. Um, I still keep in touch with Gibby. He he still lives in Aberdeen. Um, so some good times, great great times there. And then I then moved into a flat with Ian Jess. So both of us moved into a flat. Both of us were on the first team. So. Um, we moved into a fly out to Dainston out in Bridget Dawn so that for a for a year or two. So that was good fun as well. Um and then I moved I, I met my wife, my future wife up there as well. So and then moved in with her. So yeah, I moved lo- all over, all over the city. Great, 
Great time, I absolutely loved my time in Aberdeen. It was absolutely brilliant. Some good nights out as well, I'd imagine. Some some great nights, yeah. I remember one night where I must have been about 16 or 17, just in the reserves, and Charlie Nicholas had just signed for the club. Ian Porterfield's one of Ian's first signings, I think, was Charlie. And I was down Union Street. I'd just come back from the shows with the boys down at Cadona's, and I'm standing at the bus stop at Union Street, waiting my bus to get back to the Great Western Road when... Um, I see Charlie Nicholas walking up the street with the with a big leather trench coat on down his ankles, and he was with he was with Stevie Gray. If you remember, the, Stevie Gray, God rest him. Um, Aye. So, St- so Stevie's um, Stevie shouts over me, "All right, wee man," because obviously you know he, he knew me because I was sitting in the reserves. And he said, he said to Charlie, "This is one of this is one of the young lads at the club." And Charlie's gone, "Come on, come with us." So it was me and Stevie Gray and Charlie Nicholas. And I'm just at the shows. I've got my denims and my Fred Perry on and my, <laughs> um, my trainers. And, and they're, come on, let's go. And they took us up to the, the, all, all these night, Mr. G's and Cousins and all these, the Cotton Club, all the, the famous nightclubs at the time. So you can imagine all these women flocking around Charlie and Stevie Gray, who was a good looking lad as well. So all these women flocking around him. And I'm just this wee 16, 17 year old in the corner with my, with my denims on. So um, I <laughs> I actually don't remember much about the night. I remember. I don't think. I, I don't think I was drinking because I was. I don't. I think they were too kind to me that night. So, I remember getting really getting home really late that night and at my digs, and then having to be up first thing in the morning to go and do all my chores and the ground staff. So, <laughs> that was a, that was a good night. Welcome, welcome by Charlie and Stevie when I was only 15, 16, 17 year old. Whose boots ended up cleaning predominantly? Who's what? Sorry. Whose boots did you end up cleaning? We. Again, we were lucky. We didn't have to do those jo- jobs at Aberdeen. We had. You um, said the same, to be fair. We had uh, old George. Old George was a bootman, and it was his job to do everybody's boots. So we just we had lucky jobs. You know, I, I think my job was was hoovering. Uh, one of my jobs was hoovering outside the, the away dressing room and the home dressing room and into the referees room. That was my job. And then in the referees room as well was the was the staff kit. So you had to make sure that the staff kit was right and. And Hoover on up, and it was the carpet tiles at these time at that time, and it was really quite easy. So we had really easy jobs. And listen, between Teddy Scott and George the Bootman, I mean Teddy did a bit a job for six people. He was he was incredible. So we actually got off the hook quite lightly, actually, in there in terms of jobs. Did Ian say the same? Did he? <laughs> Pretty similar. Yeah, he said that um, he's tended to get away with it quite a bit. He was quite shy when we asked him about the pranks, but um, I think he's. Just one of these guys that wants to keep things. Do you footballers all the same? Want to keep them in the dressing room, which is fair enough. He was um, a golden child. He never get any jobs. He was, he, <laughs> he was too good. Really he was so. too good. Really nah, so. he, he was too good. He <laughs> would. Um, as soon as you're in the first team, actually, you're off the jobs. So I'm sure we give him a bit of stick of that and big, Billy Big Time. No jobs for him anymore because he's in the first team. <laughs> One of the pranks that um, Brian Irvin um, was tell, telling me about was um, there was an only excuse joke um, which talks about the Adidas Predator boots that were so revolutionary they made him kick the ball straight and someone put one of Ian Jesse's pairs of um, Predators underneath his peg. Ian Jesse denies it was him that put them there. Do you know who it was? Or is that not one year ago? No, I'd love to be able to tell you a story but I've no recollection of that at all. None, <laughs> none at all. What's the best <laughs> pranks you can remember then from that type that you can share with us? God. <laughs> I can't remember really. Is that you can't remember any ones you can share with us because they're all that bad? Um, 
there was never any there was never any bad guys at the club. There was never any Gallic. Mike was probably the one who was probably at the bottom of every every prank. Big Alec McQueen, him and Roger, Robert Connor. Aye. Just Aye. Life over Robert Connor. Uh-huh. Robert Robert Connor was absolutely brilliant. He was he was great. So between him, Alec McLeish and Jim Bett, you know, the two of them had a deadpan sense of humour, Jim Bett and Robert Connor. So when they were when, when they were always together with Big Alec, you always knew there was something going on. Um, you always used to, used to sit when you were a young lad in the reserve. You'd always used to go into the first team dressing room and just sit and just listen to all the stories and think think to yourself, one day hopefully I'll be in this dressing room and, and get involved in all the all the banter. Yeah, you certainly did. And um, obviously, Alex, um, you talk about some of the coaches that you were under, but um, your main manager at that point, Alex Smith, uh, he certainly put a lot of trust in a lot of young players, including yourself. Um, just just talk about how big a mentor he was for you in terms of your development. He was great. He was he was probably the best manager I've played under. He was certainly good for the young players because he just had a belief in them. You know, he just the way the way he just spoke to us, the way he would, you know, the way he would treat you in games and training. He would he had that a great manner about him. You know, he kind of left Jockey and Drew to do the to do all the training and all the barking and all the shouting and balling, and then Alex would be the one who would come in and put the arm around you and tell you how good a player you were. Um, so for all our young, all, all the young players, it was actually great for us, and he just told us to go out and play with no fear. And, I, and as I said to you right at the start about being able to go and play and not worry about mistakes, Alec was like that. He would just say, "Just go and play," you know, and go and go and express yourself. It doesn't matter if you make mistakes; you'll learn from it quick. And he just had faith in you to put you in the team, and um, he always had time for you, and um, you know, and, and kind of. Speaking to your mum and dad as well, just just one of these guys who just knows similar to how Alex Ferguson would probably run the club, just knowing how to treat people and treat families and and knowing how to get the best out of players. It was certainly great for us for the younger players. Yeah, definitely. Um, it was just obviously a shame that that first first full season you were in the first team that um, there was the title that got away um, last of the season against Rangers. When I was speaking to David Robertson um, about this. Um, know what um, happened today and he pointed that in the last minute of the um, the game the previous week when we beat St Johnson to win the fact that Malo got a third goal against Rangers almost shifted the mentality because it changed from Aberdeen needing a win to only needing a draw did you f- feel that um, almost contributed in some way to Aberdeen not performing as well in the day or um, is it difficult to put your finger on what went wrong other than Rangers were just slightly better on the day? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't remember. I don't recall that in terms of having that kind of mentality shift with them the week before. I just remember us winning the week before and then knowing knowing that week that we just had to go to Ibrox and get a point to, to win the league, you know. And, you know, I think, I think being so young at the time, I don't know if I was 18, 19 years old, you're kind of, when you're playing in the first team, especially with me at but at that point, I was in the crest of a wave in the first team. You know, I was in every week. I was playing every week, and um, you just, you just, you just go with it. You know, you're riding that that wave, and and, and I probably didn't even. It's now looking back, you know the enormity of that game. But at the time, and I don't know if I, I probably not speak about for Ian or Scott or or even Michael Waters and goals. Mm-hmm. Um, I did. I didn't really realise the enormity at the time. It was just another game for us going to Ibrooks and we just thought that we could that we could win the game. And I remember looking the sort of older guys looking at the team sheet before the game, you seen the Rangers team sheet and you had a lot of injuries and suspensions and thinking, You've got a right chance here. Um and they started I mean, listen, you, 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 
I watched the game back recently. I hadn't, hadn't watched it back at all, and I watched it, it was on highlights recently. And the two chances we had at the start of the game, certainly in the first half, and you think if only one of them had gone in, because you know, obviously, when you go and play at Ibrox and Parkhead, the, the manager always says to try and try and quiet the crowd, make sure you try and get an early goal, and it quietens the crowd, and then the crowd start to get on the back of their own players. So, if you could have got a, get an early goal, especially a normative the game for Rangers as well. The, the, the crowd may have turned and, and Rangers and that could have probably worked in our favour but the you know the two chances Hans Hans Seelhouse's header and then and Peter van de Ven's right through and goal when you when you see them you think gee was what chances we had to win and then and then obviously Big Mark had targeted to to do big Mike Michael in the first few minutes as well which is mm-hmm. another ploy um and it was it was a terrible challenge when you look back um and then obviously the, the first goal with the with the head, it was a brilliant it was a brilliant header from Mark Haley over Big Alec, but mm-hmm. um, I thought I thought I should have probably done at the time I I get I get a bit of stick for not stopping the cross from Jockey. I remember at half time he was giving me stick for not stopping the cross, but that happened so quick. Mark Walters was on it, and Peter Van de Ven was coming back to try and double up with me and there was an overlap and I was in two minds did I go with the overlap or did I stay and try and stop the cross and I kind of caught in two minds and um, Mark Wallace putting that good cross for, for Haley to score I've always thought that day was a bit of a kind of sliding doors moment in terms of what could have been because not just that but the impact it would have had then on kind of European football with introduction of the Champions League as well that's right. that's right I mean after the game Again, being so young, maybe naive, thinking it's fine, we'll get another opportunity to do it again. You know, we'll win, hopefully we'll win the league next year. Whether it's my my naivety at the time, thinking is that that could happen again. But maybe the old, more experienced guys like Alec and Roger Connor and these guys, Stuart McKimmy, thinking, you know, this maybe not, not come again. What a chance we had to win the league. Um, but listen, you know, even even the years after that, we were still challenging Rangers at the top of the league, so there was yep. still opportunities to do that, and we did have a good team. To you know, you look back now and you think every year we were challenging. It was between us and Rangers for the league. Yeah. Um, but at that time, that was, I think, probably what to my favour was. I was so young, and I probably just didn't. It was just another game for me at that that moment in time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, just the pivotal moments that could have probably changed the history for for the club and. Would have changed the history for Rangers as well with their nine in a row, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it would have stopped after two, unfortunately. Yes. Um, but obviously they continued on. Um, and unfortunately for Alex Smith, um, six seven months later he lost his job. Um, no, I, I still second second the fact that some Aberdeen fans were campaigning for his resignation. There was a lot of factors that contributed um, in the downturn. Like Alex McLeish got a serious injury, um, which he never really recovered from, and there was just a few other things that didn't um, go right. And um, I really felt from when he lost his job. Um, I can imagine um, the feeling would have been the same for you as a player. Did you feel so? Yeah. You let him that as players that you can't you let him down because we were sitting like six in the league at the time. Yeah, of course you take responsibility for that. You do. I mean, I remember it was. I remember the, the game at home. I think it was a midweek game at home, and, and the fans were starting to kind of camp outside the main door and shouting for Alex Head. You know, thinking she was, is, you know, we were runners up to the league the year before, and Alec had won the the, the double as well, hadn't he? He'd won the the, the cup, the both ball. cups. Yeah. And I think, listen, looking back nowadays, and or even years after that, it was a it was a wrong decision. People would probably have admitted that it was a wrong decision at the time, but. 
at least at this moment in time, we'd we did we we lost we lost too many games um, for a club of Aberdeen and listen, managers are always live or die by results, but it was probably just a bit too soon and, and whether or not that coincided with Willie, you know, retiring at that point and, and being in the coaching staff as well, because I think I think Willie was part of because Jockey Scott had gone to Dunfermline, hadn't he? Maybe the year leading up to that, so there was Willie was in with the management team. So whether or not you know the fans, maybe want Willie as manager as, as a club legend, and maybe that sped up the decision. I don't know, but certainly as a player, you hate to see any manager losing their job, and especially Alec for what he did for me personally and all the young players. It was it was really bad for us. Um, I mean, probably your main highlight of that 91-92 season um, was uh, Scotland under-21 game against uh, G- Germany um, at Pataudry, full house, um, 3-1 down against a, a quality side, and then you come back and win 4-3 to get the semi-final. Just um, how high do you re- regard that game in terms of your experiences as a player? Yeah, that was that's probably right up there. I mean, I'd, I had a brilliant time with Scotland under-21s because there was, there was a few of us from the club, so there was myself and Ian and Scott. Five that night? Gary, Gary Smith, Michael Watt, we were all, you know, we're all kind of involved in that run. And that was a great run that we had. Um, under twenty ones with some great players at that point. And um yeah, that game was just incredible. The atmosphere for a start. I mean the, the amount of fans, I was thinking it was a full house that night to come out and watch us in, in the midweek and um three one down, you're right. I tend to forget that game actually, but the to come back from that to then win that that wonder goal from Alex Ray near the end was just was just incredible and then um, and that probably probably took so much out of us because we we then obviously beat Germany and then played Sweden I think in the semi finals um, that was a two legger as well I think mm-hmm. I think we um, I, th- I don't know what the home score was against Sweden but we then lost I'm sure we lost in the way leg and that was us out so to then go so far I mean you look back to you know, see see some of the players that you played against, you know, growing up under twenty ones. That was I think my dad's actually got some programmes in his loft of some of the under twenty one games or under eighteen games that I played in. He, he likes the Lewis Figo and, and these guys that you you've come against. You think you look back and think, gee, I'm sure Zidane as well was involved in some of the games I played in um, over in France. We were in Toulon tournament when you played when England were there with Alan Shearer. So when you look back, think, gee, was to, to to represent your country at that level against some of these guys and Scotland under twenty ones was great because the good thing was as well was that Craig Brown had, had, had taken it and Craig Brown was obviously involved with Andy Roxburgh with the national team. So there was a kind of continuity there that you know if, if you do well, there's an opportunity to get involved in the first team because the both of them work together. Um, I really enjoyed working with Craig Brown as well. He was a good manager with Scotland. Mm-hmm. Who would have been your toughest opponent then playing with under 21s? Would it have been Figo or was there someone different? I don't remember playing against Figo. I just seen, him in, seen his name in a programme. <laughs> 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 I remember um, Maybe he, I remember, he's maybe saying in the Portuguese <laughs> uh, podcast, he's saying, Aye, Stephen Wright was my toughest opponent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a Stephen Wright jersey at home, maybe. <laughs> no chance. No chance. Um, I remember playing against Italy away when it was Carboni, Benito Carboni. Mm. Um, I think he was at Torino. In fact, I'm sure he played against Aberdeen the night. We played him at, against Torino. I don't know if you guys yeah. will remember that. I yeah, would, I, would, I would remember that, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't in the first team at that point. Um, so he played against us and I'm sure I was centre-back that night with another centre-back that um, I'll, I'll rename, remain nameless, but I think we were getting beat 3 nothing at half-time. 
my fellow centre back partner threw in a hamstring at half time and he and he never came back out because Carboni was was tearing us apart. <laughs> I think the, I think the result ended five nothing. Until in the end and Carboni Carboni got a hat trick. So I think that one sticks in my mind of he was he was quite a tough opponent, Benito Carboni. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was certainly a maverick figure. Um, you know, with the Garcia Scotland, Kerry, I had I, I couldn't actually believe um, that I read that you only had two caps for Scotland. That for some reason I had you um, down something like five or six, but you wore two and you wore the same jersey that you happened to model in um, the orange and purple one. Um, first of all, playing Germany and then playing uh, Estonia. Is that is that a disappointment that you only got the two caps, or do you just look back and think, well, I managed to represent my country twice, and that's a great honour. Yeah, there was. Listen, I was I was actually in quite a lot of squads, believe it or not, not not to blow my own trumpet, but that I was I was pulled out oh, quite a lot. Been, yeah. <laughs> I was pulled out quite a lot of times. In fact, I was I was almost close to being in the squad for the Euro '92 um, in Sweden. I think I was in the squad for the sort of pre trip to America and North America, um, and I was pulled. Well, Wally, Wally, I'm sure Wally was a manager at the time, and he and he'd said that I had to I had to go and get an operation on my wrist because I'd. I'd fractured the bone in my wrist the, the season before because um, I used to wear, a, I don't know if you probably remember some old clips, I used to wear a kind of white bandage kind of cast thing in my wrist. Yeah. So I did need an operation at some point and I had to then go and get one at the end of the season and that ruled me out of any any sort of contention of being in the in the Euros. So looking back now, I'm thinking, bloody hell, I can't believe I've missed out in the, the Euro 92 squad when you think of the players that played for Scotland then. Um, so... So yeah, I pro- listen. I, I, I probably should have had more caps, um, but you know, either been pulled out or maybe just maybe just not been good enough. To, you know, Stuart McKimmy was probably my competition at right back as well, and Stuart McKimmy played long, you know, long after I was in the first team at Aberdeen. So it just shows you what, what kind of player Stuart McKimmy was as well. Yeah, that night against Germany, you're talking about some of the players you played against for under twenty ones. Both Matthias was playing, Klinsman was playing. I think you'd have been yeah. up against was it Thomas Dahl probably Thomas Dahl yeah that was what a team that was um, Carol Riedler Thomas Hassler Olaf Torn <laughs> Bookfeld um, Big Collar Big centre back I don't know if, I, I don't know actually if he played um, Matthias you're right I mean that was mm-hmm. that was a night I remember that night because it was there was no there was no English based players playing that night for us so your Pat Nevins or Kevin Gallagher's or, or um Brian McClears or Gary McAllisters weren't involved. They were all. It was just it was just purely Scottish-based players that played that night. So, um, so I was playing wing back, which is which is a position I didn't really enjoy playing. <laughs> Used to call it the graveyard shift. Um, so I played that position. But I remember I got taken off that night, and I remember Thomas Dole had actually been taking off, not not either before me or after me. And I and I was I actually remember shouting across to him in the dugout saying can I get your jersey after the game so I've still got his jersey in my garage at this moment in time so that's my that's my, my weak claim to fame that night he's getting Thomas Dahl and I used to follow him because he was he played for Lazio at the time yeah. I'm sure mm-hmm. he was a top player I'm sure he was Paul Gascoigne's teammate at a point so he was um, he was one player that I really admired so then to get his jersey was was, was pretty pretty special for me that night but to, to look back John as you said the team for Germany that night was it's a World Cup team, wasn't it? World Cup winning team yeah. that we played against. Mm-hmm. And when you when you think we just lost one nothing, um, Carol Heinz Riedler scored the winner. It was, it was pretty pretty good to be honest. 
Yeah, there was no Rangers players in the team that night, which was odd because the game was at Ibrox. Um, but Duncan Ferguson, I remember, has overhead kick that night. Um, <laughs> probably his greatest moment in a Scotland jersey. I know that for other reasons, didn't quite have the international career we would have hoped, but it's one of these things. But 92, 93, that, um, was that maybe the year that you probably played your best uh, football of your Aberdeen career at that point? Yeah, probably probably the most consistent, the most amount of games that I played. Um 92, 93, yeah, and it was that was a good season for us actually. We'd, I'm sure, um, I'm sure I've seen something recently. Was that one of the seasons that we obviously played forty four games? I think we only lost six or seven games out that season, which is which is quite a record. It was either that season or the year after. So when you think back of that, I mean, of games you know that we'd lost was 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 pretty good. But um, so no, I'd, I'd I'd enjoyed that season. Enjoyed playing, playing it right back. I don't know if I'd. I remember through my time at Aberdeen, I played a few positions. I played left back a few times. I played centre back. Played wing back. Very, very occasionally played wing back, but it was mainly right back. And um, as I said, just you know, just playing alongside some of the players that we had at the time was just brilliant. But particularly in Jess, I mean, listen, Ian was absolutely he was, he was yeah. my he was my mate. He was we shared flat together, and he was just what a player he was to having the to having the you know the pitch at the same time. Aye, definitely. I, I look at the 92 the 93 team and okay, they didn't win, in, win anything. They were up against, let's be honest, the top Rangers side that also did well in the Champions League that year and won the treble. Um, that was the only thing that stopped Aberdeen from winning a couple of trophies that season. I just think the style of football was incredible to watch. It was fast, it was aggressive. You'd Shearer, Jess and Pat Lainan up front. It was just uh, tremendous. And obviously yourself with Brian Irvin. Um, at times, either Gary Smith or Alec McLeish and Stuart McKimmy. It was a pretty formidable team. I thought it was just a little bit unlucky not to win it. Yeah, listen, you'd, you can I speak about that now? Where when you're going out, when you're going out before a match and you're you're standing in the tunnel and you're looking, you're looking at your team and you're going, Alex McLeish is in my team, Stuart McKimmy's in my team, and Jim Betts in my team, Duncan Shearer, Mick Superlining. We're actually going to have a good day today. You just know, you know, you know. Sometimes when you're standing in the tunnel and you're looking at your teammates, thinking the team that we're playing against is going to be is going to be up against it. And you know, you're quite happy with the teammates that you've got standing next to you. And as you said, Duncan Shearer, Mixu Patalainen, fantastic, you know, fantastic player. The amount of goals that both of the guys scored, um, particularly Duncan. Some of these goals were ridiculous. Some of his finishes. Um, the guy that never the, the, the guy that never warmed up properly. He used to go into the pitch or into the training pitch, and he would throw the ball up into there, and they would half volley into the net. That was his warm up, and he would half volley a, a peach right into the top corner. That was that was his warm up. What a technique he had to to actually probably the best ever technique to to half volley a ball. If you want notice some of his goals, there are quite a lot of them are are, are, um, are half volleys. I think actually the Skull Cup final against Rangers when we lost next mm. time. Sure, Duncan's goal that night was a half volley. Rake her into the into the bottom corner. So what a finisher he was, Duncan. Yeah, the one that from that year that I'm interested in particularly was Lee Richardson. Um underrated, I think probably outside of Aberdeen in terms of the player he was and the contribution. Obviously as well, the goal that he scored in the, the Scottish Cup final that season as well. But some Same. player he was one of our heroes at that point. I think because he, he had the long hair, he was a bit cool, a bit different. Um he was great. He was great. Actually, he was really friendly with myself and my wife, him and his wife. We got really pally off the pitch. Um, just a really nice guy as well. You know, he had this image of a, you know, a thug on the pitch and the way he played and obviously the way he looked with his long hair and his beard and he was all action and aggressive in, in, in the pitch. But he was an actually absolute gentleman off the pitch. Nice guy. Loved a, loved a bit of 
crack and a bit of banter and um, you know he's and he's one of these players that you would just love to have in your team I'm, t- I'm telling you about you know standing in the tunnel with these guys and I forgot to mention Lee because you would want somebody like Lee in there because he just he was just a winner you know he just didn't he didn't you know he didn't like to lose and whether that was training whether that was games and it was just one of these and he actually scored quite a few memorable goals as well for the club so mm. no great you're right I think he's one of the cult heroes of the, to the club isn't he over the years I oh, definitely yeah. yeah definitely yeah I mean he's got the, the goal that probably stands out is that goal against Torino in the home leg um, we talk about sliding doors moments I mean when you're two up in, in Torino is that a sliding doors moment thinking oh we could have done better that night because we end up losing the game 3-2 and then at Pitodre again one up we're winning in away goals and again the games I know they had a good team you know Carbone that night um, was pretty good that night and Solenzi up front but still a moment you think we were quite close to putting out uh, an Italian team you know it's even you think back nowadays with the, you know the, the teams that you play against although listen there was a few shockers as well I'm sure hopefully you don't, you don't you're not going to bring up but no so not mention them but, um, <laughs> uh, but you're right playing against Torino I remember the, some of the players as you said that played the big the big Uruguayan striker is it Francis Gloria or something he played for him mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. he was a brilliant striker um, you're right I know what what I just remember being in the stand that night at Petodre in the in the home leg and what an atmosphere that night that. It just wasn't to be, but looking back, great experiences to go and play in these places. You know, the 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 Torino, the Stadio dell'Alpe. I was lucky enough to then go and play for Rangers against Juventus at the same stadium, mm-hmm. and it was the exact same atmosphere. You know, the, the the fans were so far away from you, and you couldn't really see them because there was smoke that was going off everywhere. But what what an experience for for for, for us to go over and play there. Definitely. Um... Unfortunately, things do start sliding in 94-95. Um, it's obviously well documented. The key players were lost. Alan McLeish went on to become manager. Robert Connor left. Jim Bett left. Richardson left. And I don't think we brought the same calibre in with no um, disrespect to any of the players, although Billy Dodge was a great signing. Um, I mean, just when you start going on that rut, how difficult does it become to get out of it um, once you're in it? And then obviously Willie loses his job because of it. Yeah, you're right, and I think that I think the players you lose, and it, you know, it's nothing to do with the guys that Wally had brought in, but the guys you you mentioned that we lost, and I'm sure Mixu had left as well to go to Bolton yeah. during that season. So you look at, I mean, Jim Bett, Robert Connor, Big Alec, Lee Richardson, Mixu, you know, that's going to have a massive effect on your team. Um, but listen, you you know, you play for Aberdeen, you expect to win your games, you expect to win your home games, and they just they just weren't up to it, they weren't good enough, and. Um, I think obviously losing these players would have an impact on the team, and just just, just the actual characters you've got in the, in the you know in the dressing room or in, on the pitch to help you through games. We just didn't have that at that moment in time, and and it's then difficult as a manager to bring in players, you know, with that experience and that calibre as well. And listen, he brought in, well, he did bring in good players, um, but they just probably just didn't hit the heights that maybe maybe the Wally and the club were expecting, you know, and then obviously we suffered that season when when you end up going further and further back the league and then you then you realise that um you know, us and Dundee United at the bottom of the league, yes, it was unheard of, you know, and it was that was the year that I had always I had booked my, my wedding as well that that year. Um and as it coincided, sorry, it ended up right, right in the middle of the playoffs. But, it's, you know, you book your wedding a year and a half in advance. You, you don't think you're going to be involved. And I think it was the first time, first time the SFA had 
or the SPFL, whatever it was at the time, had brought in the, the playoffs. And um, I think they'd gone to a ten-team league as well, if I remember right. Yeah, that year. Did, yeah. So there was so there's obviously the, the bottom team and down, and the second second bottom into the playoffs. So as time goes on, then you realise, geez, oh, the playoffs, the playoffs. You know, I, I remember the game against Dundee United at home, which was which was a massive game for us. They won. I think it was two nothing. They won, wasn't it? Right two one, yeah. Two I'll never one, forget two that. One. Best game I've listened to in radio. <laughs> <laughs> that was a again, again looking back now, you think what an enormous game. But at the time, you just treat it as a player. You just treat it as another game. But to come to being able to survive the playoffs was just unheard of for a club like Aberdeen. Particularly, you know, the experiences I've had over the last few years of being in the first team. You know, you should be challenging the top of the league, but now you're the bottom of the league. It's not. It's unheard of. And then obviously, Willie. Paid the price as well, didn't he? And Roy then came in and, and became manager. Yeah, what was the conversations like with your um, fiance? She was at that point, think, um, saying, um, "By the way, that wedding, um, there might be a few who's not allowed to drink." Um, you know, but to be in your defence, you wouldn't have expected Aberdeen to be involved in this playoff um, by that time, and you probably <laughs> try to sandwich it in between the end of the season and potential going away with Scotland if you were lucky. Scotland had some qualifiers that summer. That's fine. I remember actually the playoffs. They hadn't they hadn't assigned a date properly, and not that you know. <laughs> it's listen, half, <laughs> yeah, halfway through the season, you know, as an Aberdeen player, you would never contemplate being in the playoffs anyway. So it's you know, you, I don't have to worry about that. But as it got closer and closer, you're thinking we could be in the playoffs. So I, I remember because I got married in May the twentieth, which was the day after the day after the first leg against O'Fermlin. But the initial date that the SFA had was was the 20th of the game. The 20th was supposed to be the game and it's the same day as my wedding. And I, I, remember, I remember getting in to see Roy Aiken because Roy was the manager at the time and saying, listen, Roy, I'm, I'm getting married that day. And that's the same day as the, as the first leg in the playoff. And Roy's like that. Well, you're you're just going to have to delay the wedding for a few hours. You're going to have to play first and get married after it or get married before it. So that conversation didn't go down too well with the wife and the family. Listen, we're going to have to maybe delay the wedding a wee bit. So then as it turned out, um, I got married in the 20th. And the, sorry, the, the, the playoff was the playoff was in the 21st. I, um, so yeah, so the wedding was quite a sober affair. So obviously I'd invited some of the players, but they had to leave about nine o'clock to get back up the road in preparation for the next game the next day. Um, but I did sneak a few, a few glasses down that night. Um, <laughs> and I do remember actually being absolutely exhausted at the end of the first leg at Petodri against Fermont. So I was so glad, so glad after that night. Yeah. And and then obviously they kind of moved to Rangers, came about. So they were your your team as a boy. How did it originally come about? Because obviously back then there wasn't really like a kind of social media, maybe not quite as much speculation about it. Yeah, I kind of I knew Rangers were interested. Probably towards the end of that season. Um, listen, it's really far. And, you know, I'd heard that Walter Smith had been watching me playing some games for Aberdeen and was keen to sign me and what have you. And I had too much in my mind, as you, as you can imagine, obviously, with Aberdeen in the playoffs and getting married. <laughs> so so um, that was kind of put in the back burner. And, um, you know, I, I know you said I was a, a Rangers fan as a kid, and I was a Rangers fan as a really young kid. But probably when I, probably when I, Started training me, training properly with Aberdeen. Believe it or not, then Aberdeen became my team, and I used to go and watch Hamilton Ackies as well. So, 
even though I was, you know, I was a Rangers fan as a kid, it was it was a bit listen, it's every kid's dream, isn't it? Um, you know, to then go and play for to then go and play for Rangers was was a bit of a dream, to be honest, from my family as well, from being from the West. But um, but it was kind of in the back burner, you know. There was nothing done until after the end of the season, and um, obviously after the wedding, and then to then go and play in the Champions League for you know, listen being in relegation playoff with Aberdeen and things had changed so much at Aberdeen and then being offered the chance to go to Rangers to go and go and play in Champions League football it was, it was a move I couldn't really turn down to be honest and I know it wasn't it wasn't the most popular with Aberdeen fans and probably rightly so because you know that's what happens your rivals but at the end of the day it was a decision I had to make Did you seek advice over your former teammate or then new teammate David Robertson about that because obviously you were aware of the stick he got and um, what kind of stick um, did do you think you got in relation to what you were prepared for? Yeah, listen, I knew David got stick. David didn't bother. You know, he'd, well, listen, I'm saying it. It was ridiculous is it, um, what he got, to be yeah. fair. Um, he, he did, well, listen, you maybe know more than I do then because, you know, when I watched him in the pitch when he played for Rangers against Aberdeen, he just he just got on me, you know. And I, mm-hmm. Although maybe it did get to him because I remember one one game when he, when he took Joe Muller, I think he halved him in two at the, at the dugout. One of the one of the days when he was back at Petardry, so probably he was so wound up coming back and playing against Aberdeen for Rangers that he was so wound up that he, he nearly halved we Joe in two. Um, but I didn't speak to Davy about it. Um, I just kind of watched him. I admired Davy. Davy was another player that I really admired coming in, mm-hmm. coming up through the ranks at Aberdeen. And you know, he, when I was a young player, he was almost in the first team, so it was a player that I kind of looked up to. So for him to then go to Rangers and do well, um, you know, I thought there's as, as, as another as an, another opportunity to go and play. And um, listen, the move to Rangers was was great. I really enjoyed it. Um, I don't have any regrets moving to Rangers, but there's always moments that I look back and think, if, what would have happened if I'd stayed at Aberdeen? You know, I would have possibly picked up a League Cup winners medal three months later yeah, if I'd stayed. Yeah. You know. Um, <laughs> Although you know, I was part of the Rangers team that Aberdeen beat at Hamden that night in the semi-final. Um, that you know, look back and think, you know, if only I'd stayed, what would have happened? But then, listen, I would to have to have then gone to Rangers and played, and and you know, I spoke about the characters and the players that I was lucky enough to play with Aberdeen, like Sir McLeish and Miller and these guys, Jim Bett, to then go and play with Gascoigne and Loudrop and McCoy and mm-hmm. these guys at Rangers when. You know, again, I was so lucky to be able to be in that position to do that, to then go and play Champions League football. So from from playoffs to then get married, to then go on honeymoon and then come back for pre-season and, and then you know, obviously you stay in a hotel in Glasgow because you don't have a house organised and, you know, you're, you're, you meet somebody in the lift. I met a Rangers fan in the lift really early on. I'd only signed maybe a week or two and, and we were playing Fam Augusta in the Champions League qualifiers, a double header. And the guy in the lift says to me, we better win next week, otherwise our season's ruined. And I thought to myself, gee whiz, welcome to Rangers. Uh, <laughs> welcome to Rangers. That was a, that was my first conversation with a fan. Better win or your first season's ruined. So um, so then to then go and play Champions League football and, and been thrown in against, you know, Famagusta and then lucky enough to then play against Juventus, as I said, and still a Bucharest, Borussia Dortmund. Um it was just, it was just incredible, you know. Everything's working out well for you, and then you pick up 
that serious injury, um, which obviously ended your season, ended your hopes of going to Euro 96 with Scotland as well. But probably more important from your point of view, was a big fear that your career itself would be over. Yeah, because at that time, you know, it was a cruise ship. You didn't know anything. I didn't know anything at the time, obviously. Was it the the challenge you were in with? Well, it was, he was the closest person. Listen, I, I, I use that claim of fame because he was closest to me, but it was actually myself self had done it. Because, you know, most cruciate ligament injuries is done by catching your studs in the turf and, you know, twisting your knee. And and I, I, don't, I don't know whether this is something that's coincidental, but the week before when we played, I was telling you we played Aberdeen at Hamden and it was an, an awful night. And I actually I put, I put bigger studs on that night at Hamden. It was almost like rugby studs in just to try and make sure you get proper grip because the surface was so so soft at Hamden. The, the following week we played Juventus at Ibrox and the night I did my knee and I kept the same studs in and Ibrox is actually was a bit firmer. It was a wee bit soft underneath but it was firm on top. Um, whether or not that had anything to do with me, you know, because my, 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 my studs had planted and my whole body had shifted and my, my cruciate had snapped. Whether or not my studs had anything to do with that, I don't know. Um, it was just one of these unfortunate incidents, uh, you know, accidents, and and then you come off and you um, you're lying in the you're lying in the changing room, and it's funny because my son said to me the other night we were watching Champions League the other night, and he said, "Was that was that tune played when you played?" And I says, "Yeah." I says, "I've still get I still get fears when I hear it because I remember lying in the changing room at Ibrox with a TV in the changing room." And I was, you know, in pain and all I could hear was the Champions League anthem. And that's, every time I hear that anthem, I just think of thinking, you know, looking back when I've got this big bandage, uh, big bag of ice in my knee that night I did my cruciate. So, um, but but at that time, you know, you then speak to people at Ibrox because that, listen, the cruciate ligament was quite a common injury with a lot of the players at Ibrox at the time. Ian Durant had been through, Andy Gorham, Stuart McCall. And what they did then is they, they used to send the players over to LA had a, a surgeon they used in LA so um, so myself and my wife were flown out to LA for, for the operation and um, I had 10 days recuperation in Palm Springs so that wasn't wasn't too bad recuperations after that so then come back and um, that was in November it happened so then come back over Christmas New Year blah 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 and, and then you then come back you get back to your sort of pre-season again in um, June, July and then um I remember training and it just it went again, it snapped again. So it was kind of back to square one and over to LA again and it was the same again. So I was I wasn't out as long at this time. Um so it was probably it was probably seven months the first time, then it was six months the second time. Um so coming back. So so the second time I done it, John I probably got that point. I thought, I'm just not sure if I'm you know, if I'm gonna get back for this. But I did get back. I was probably never the same the same player, you know. I, I was quick as a quick when I was back in Aberdeen days. I probably lost a yard or two, um, but in terms of my knee coming back the second time, it was it was completely fine. It was it was rock solid. So um, coming back, coming back that you know that season then at Rangers when he had probably a year left, my, my third year left was I knew I was never going to get into the Rangers team. I wasn't good enough at that point. They brought in lots of players as they did every year. So. It was then time to move on. So really, my Rangers career was kind of short-lived, but I think, you know, as I said to you, meeting meeting and playing and just being in the dressing room with some of these players, is, it's just memories that you'll have forever, you know? I definitely did. So at the time, was there like enough frustration that it maybe didn't? I don't know. 
work out better for you. Like, we had a question from one um, luster and they kind of asked, would you trade playing at the Champions League against Juventus for like, a longer career as such at that level, if that makes sense? So, yeah, definitely. Definitely, yeah. You'd trade that. You'd trade that for a, for a bit of longevity. I mean, you look at Andrew Considine's record at this moment in time for Aberdeen. What a fantastic achievement. You know, yeah. fair, fair play to him to have played so many games and been consistent every year and you know he's, he's, he's obviously been lucky in terms of injury as well maybe he's been a quick healer and um, but to have played that amount of games to have that longevity of the club it's, and, and to have played that amount of games for, for not, not just for one club but just for that amount of games in your career it's something now that I look back and think I wish I'd played more games I didn't play a lot of games in my career um, you know but I would have loved to have been able to done that and I would have traded these these games. Um, but now looking back, you think, didn't play a, amount of, a lot of games, but I did still manage to play against, you know, probably the best front three I ever faced in my life, which was Del Piero, Ravinelli and Viale. Um, close, well, the Germ- that Germany team is probably a close second. Um, so to have, to have played against, you know, that team in that night, I mean, listen, even you... You look at Deschamps played for for um, for Juventus. Um, mm-hmm. Conte, who's a Chelsea manager, played, and um, some of these guys. You think, what, what what an experience! And I look back actually, and I think to myself, I, I don't think I was good enough to play at that level. Really, genuinely, I don't think I was good enough to play at that level. Um, when I look at some of the players that I played with and played against. To be fair, that Juventus team was a good side. You know, they end up winning the um, Champions League that season. Um, I mean, we talked about some of the characters that you had amongst the Aberdeen dressing room to help you embed um, in, etc. Rangers, you had a good few. You know, you talk about Richard Goff, the captain, Andy Gorham, of course, who was probably, in fact, no probably so much. He was the best goalkeeper in Scotland at that point um, and one of the best in Europe. Gaza, obviously, Brian Laudrup. Um you know, just how how is it adapting to that changing room? You know, amongst some of these stars. Yeah, I was listen. I, I, my ambition, not my ambition. One of my things when I was a young player was, you know, you're saying you're saying I was a Rangers fan growing up. I was a kind of football fan. One of my my biggest things was to play in the same pitch as Paul McStay and Alan McCoist. They were two players when I was really young to be able to play play alongside or play against. And I was lucky enough to play in the same Scotland team as Paul McStay. I mean, what. A, what an absolute player, what a brilliant player he was, Paul McStay. And then to play in the same the same team as Alan McCoyst and share the same dressing room as Alan McCoyst, you know, so so get in and play with these guys and you know, it was Don getting into, get into Rangers at the time. You know, obviously you're they all know who you are because you've played against them so often in, in the years before that. Um so to actually play alongside Brian Loudrop instead of actually trying to mark him. I remember one game at Ibrooks Wally had me man marking Brian Loudrop. <laughs> I think he had. He took me everywhere. He took me everywhere. You know, he was really clever. He would take me over. I think Gary Smith was playing left back that night. I think he took me over to stand next to Gary Smith at one point. I didn't know where I was going. So, so to then go and play alongside Brian Loudrop and um, some of these guys was was pretty special. It was, it was pretty good. You know, some of the guys that I watched as a kid growing up <clears throat> to then being in the same changing room. And as I said, I I, I didn't. You know. It's just the way I am. I didn't think I was I was good enough to then go and, and be in that. You know, you've got to have a self you've got to have a self belief. You've got to believe you can do it. But probably looking back, thinking oh, how lucky was I to then to then be in a changing room with these guys. You know, 
Yeah, definitely. But you earned the right with your performances with Aberdeen. But uh, we talk about some of the pranks that you were might have been involved in with uh, Aberdeen. But there must have been a good few with Rangers, especially with Gascoigne and McCoyster. And you can't tell me that was a quiet change in him. It was a few, actually. Gascoigne's a legendary. I mean, a lot of the stories that Alan McCoy tells nowadays is is ones that I actually do remember. Um, I mean, one one he, he came in with new teeth one day was probably one of the funniest things we've ever done I've ever witnessed was because he was quite vain actually Gaza he was he was always in the mirror and looking at his appearance and looking at his figure and <laughs> looking at his face and he always had these kind of slanty teeth you know so he'd, he then decided to get a set of new teeth and I'll never forget it he was so nervous actually he didn't like getting needles or anything like that and he was going to the dentist he hated it so I think he got his dad up from Newcastle to go and help him and I just remember him walking into the changing room the day that he got new teeth and and Ian, Ian Ferguson was just, he couldn't, he couldn't get off the floor because he would share Gaza when he walked in the dressing room. So Alan McCoy had got everybody lined up to then go and sit in front of Gaza each, you know, and, and who was the one that could, he could sit longest with it? Gaza making him laugh and Gaza would just open his mouth and start speaking and you just couldn't, you just couldn't handle it. So that, so we things like that, I mean, how on earth he managed to play football, I'll never know, guys, with the antics that he used to get up to. The story's um, true as well about having a wee dram before the games and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he was, listen, he was just, he was crazy. He was, he was, um, he was a big kid at heart. You know, he just loved the laugh. He loved the joke. If you dared him to do something, he was just, one of these guys, he would just go and do it, you know, and he would, um, I could believe he would have had a drink and go and play and he would still be the best player. Um I used to, funny enough, I used to play snooker with him up in Newton Mearns. I don't know if you know if you know Newton Mearns at yeah, all. Yeah. Up at Partlands. Right, right. Country Club. Country Club. So yeah. I, I was injured at the time, so I was. I used to come and play snooker with me. Um, Jimmy Five Bellies would bring him up, drop him off at the Country Club, and we'd go and play snooker. And one night, because I lived in Newton Mearns, one night he actually got absolutely hammered. So he ended up staying with me, staying with me in Newton Mearns. So I'm. I had no kids at the time, so I'm taking him back to my to my house. But then that was in, it was the same night that I'd offered my neighbour to come and play snooker with us as well. And my neighbour was a Cockney lad. He was a, he's a big Spurs fan, so he was. Could you imagine? He was just beside himself. So, so Gaza, Gaza just wound up my neighbour all night, um, and the two of them were absolutely steaming. So I'm having to take them home. So my neighbour was called Jez. He said to Gaza when we got back, "Come in, I want you to meet my wife." And this is something like one or two in the morning. So he's taking Gaza and his, and his wife's in bed. So it so ended up with, with Gaza, with Jez and his wife in the bed and, and they're just laughing and, and, and the wife woke up and she said, what on earth is going on? So that was, that was a, and then Gaza's coming into our house and um, and he was absolutely steaming and I'm having to wake him up the next morning to get him to training and he's and he's one of these guys who was just right up the front again in training the next morning. It didn't, it didn't affect him at all, you know, and... Um, he was just what, what a talent he was. But it's a shame to see, you know, the way, it kind of ended for him. Um, but to to have so many memories and to to have somebody like that as a as a kind of friend at the time. And you know, I used to I used to borrow his car at the weekends. Again, when I'm injured at Rangers, and I wanted to go back up and see my in-laws in Aberdeen because my wife was from Aberdeen. I would, I would ask guy because he had a big, big, massive. 8 Series BMW, I think there was any any of these cars around at the time. I used to ask him, because I, I shot your car, guys, for the weekend. And he would just, it was between me and Charlie Miller. He would fight for his keys and I would go and 
are we going to take the car to Aberdeen for the weekend to see my in-laws back down? So if you'd asked him for anything at all, if you asked him for a loan of 100 quid, he's like, he's 100. He would give you, he's just one of the guys who was just really genuine, you know, um, just just a, just a crazy, crazy bit of great guy. Yeah. And you'd have shared a dressing room at the time as well with Derek McInnes because he signed no loan after you. Like, see, in terms of training rooms, can you tell maybe back then at the time guys are going to go on to be managers or coaches? Do you think there's certain guys that... I could always see something, Derek, that I knew. I knew he was always a winner, Derek. He had that in him. He hated losing. Um, whether he was playing against any reserve players or whether he was playing against Richard Goff, he was a, he was a winner, and I'll, I'll give him that. That and I could I could tell at that time. Um, listen, Derek went on to have a great career as well. I Maybe mean, didn't play as many games as Rangers at that point because he was up. He had strong competition, obviously with yeah. Gascoigne and. Um, Ian Fergus and Ian Durant so that's what I was shooting my calls but he then only have a good career with Rangers and, and you know down to England as well but I could always see I could always see something in Derek that he was he, he just he knew about the game as well he was quite studious about the game um, and it just just the way he played he was always like he always liked to organise and, and play in the middle of the park and, and help each other out so he always had that he always, I, I probably didn't at that time think he was going to be a manager and, and, and you know end up being a manager as long as he has been but I always knew he had something that he was he was a leader and he, he always was, was good amongst his teammates and after Rangers you had your own little stint down south you had a um, loan spell at Wales but then um, more notably you went to Bradford and was involved when they got promotion to the Premier League um, it's the uh, what kind of experience does that go and um, getting a team like Bradford City who are currently now in week two the fourth tier um, into the Premier League that was great. Listen, that's probably. I mean, I didn't win anything with Aberdeen. Um, I didn't. I wasn't in a pitch when I won anything with Rangers. So my first season at Bradford, we won promotion in the Premiership. So that was probably my best time actually on the pitch was at Bradford. And it was, you know, at the end of my Rangers career, I'm out of contract, nothing. I come back from two ACLs, and nothing was happening. My agent, no phone calls or anything. So Stuart McCall had just gone to Bradford. Um, and he'd spoken to the manager, Paul Jewell, and said um, about myself, you know, bring him down, do a pre-season and um, see how you got on. So my wife was eight months pregnant at the time and she was expecting her, her twins, you know, because we were expecting twins. So eight months pregnant, we go down. She's staying in a hotel in Bradford and I'm doing pre-season with Bradford trying to earn a contract. So when you think back nowadays, the things you've got to sacrifice just to have, you know, to, to continue a career. <laughs> Knowing that I probably didn't know if I was going to get if I was going to get signed with Bradford, I'm going to do a pre-season to try and prove myself because Stuart McCall would put a word in for me. Um, and as it's turned out, again, luckily I managed to get a, a two-year deal. Um, I managed to settle fairly quickly and get a house in um, in Harrogate, which is which is nice nice part of the world in Yorkshire. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got to say that the team I played for at Bradford was absolutely brilliant, and the, the players again I speak about the players are so important. The characters, the leaders we had at that time, Bradford was absolutely brilliant. Stuart, Mac- Stuart McCall almost single-handedly got his promotion that year because you know you speak about you speak about leaders, you speak about the kind of Derek McInnes type figures. You know he he was instrumental. You know when you look at the experienced players, we had Gary Walsh, goalkeeper in goals, with Peter Beagrey, Jamie Lawrence, um, Darren Moore, Andy O'Brien at the back, Wayne Jacobs. Um, 
Gareth Wally, who was who was a player that came through Cruise Academy, um, and then with a strike force of Lee Mills and Robbie Blake, who who were on fire that season. So we ended up finishing second, so automatic promotion up to Premiership. So uh, we just we just picked to the post by Sunderland to win the league that year. But that was probably the biggest the biggest highlight on the pitch or actually being involved in the pitch or winning something was was winning promotion. To, to the Premiership with Bradford that was a great time for me Dean come in that season as well Bradford. Dean, Dean came in Dean came in Dean and Lee came in at the tail end of that season Dean Saunders as well came in at the tail end of that and then the next season as well so um, when you look back some of the players that we had um, was, was brilliant you know Dean Windass is another player that you speak about what a player Dean Windass was and you guys yeah. I don't know if you'd seen the best of Dean Windass but Certainly, when he was at Bradford, what, what, what a mm-hmm. player! I mean, he's, you could probably equate him to a, a Gascoigne type figure, you know, in terms of, um, you know, he gave him the ball anywhere on the pitch. He could look after it. He had great technique. He was aggressive. He was strong. He could finish. Um, he was absolutely brilliant in Mundas. Um, so, I didn't really follow his career at Aberdeen. So, I don't know if you guys had seen the best of him, Aberdeen. Um, he was good at Aberdeen, but I think he's mm-hmm. one of those guys that got better as the years went on. I mean, he was even probably mid-30s. He maybe even hit his peak, which is mm-hmm. unusual for a footballer. He was 30 when he scored that goal for Hull in the playoff yeah. final, which a lot of people remember. That's right. Yeah, that's right. No, it's true. After he left Bradford, he, well, he stayed at Bradford for a few years after me and then went on went on to have a, a good career. Um, but so, so having guys like that and... Um, you know, to then win promotion automatic to the Premiership, and you're thinking, wow. But, you know, I, that, that I didn't play the following year. Obviously, Paul Julian brought in a host of new players. Um, again, I probably wasn't good enough looking back to play in the Premiership. You know, he brought in Gunnar Halla, the right back from Leeds, and yeah. David Weatherall, centre back from Leeds. Um, and that was just before, that was probably the year just before that. The, that Bradford then went went crazy and spent spent an absolute fortune. That was a year after. So that the, the second year I was here, I didn't play much. I was on the bench a few times, and we managed to scrape um, survival. The, you maybe remember the iconic goal in the Valley Parade David Weatherall, David Weatherall mm-hmm. against Liverpool. So I was in the stand watching that. So that was that was great just to be involved at the club. You know, so you win promotion the first year and then you survive. Um, you know, you stave off um, relegation, you stay up, and then. I then leave Bradford and then Bradford obviously then go and spend, because they, they obviously stay up, they spend lots of money and the likes of, oh, we spoke about Carboni before and Dan Petrescu and Stan Collymore of this world. Um, it's a shame to see actually because then obviously they had a few good seasons after that and then they, they sort of fell back a wee bit after that Bradford. Yeah, but in terms of um, just going back to when you got promoted, the iconic thing about the celebrations was uh, Stuart McCall on the car, um, and somehow he didn't spill a drop despite falling right off the, the car after headbutting the headbutting it. I have no idea. That actually was right behind him. I'm not on camera when you see it because it's shown so many times. Stuart absolutely hates it. <laughs> um, but we we got promotion that we won we won at Molyneux. So right. so between between winning at Molyneux and then and the I mean, from the Midlands to Yorkshire is a good few hours. So you're talking to guys are getting tanked up on the way home, you know, champagne and beer. So Stuart then, you know, back in the Valley Parade car park and the fans are all around it. And, they're, you know, Stuart's trying to climb up. I think he gets his foot caught in the window, the window wiper. 
and then he's got the bottle of Budweiser in his hand and he falls. And that actually got a fright. I thought he'd done himself serious damage. He probably did, but because he was so drunk, you don't know. He just bounced back up again and he starts he starts dancing with his bottle of blood, not even spilt a drop. But um, but if MD kind of deserved that moment um, at Bradford, it was it was certainly Stuart because he he was your man at Bradford. You know how many times he's been there. Uh, he keeps getting, he's no long been sacked by Bradford, but I don't think it'll be long before he's asked to be manager again. He'll probably take it on him. <laughs> just keeps coming back. A yo yo. Yeah, probably. Yeah, no, he's, he's, he, he was great. He's, he was he was a great um, player for Bradford through years and a great teammate of mine as well. But so, no, I had really good times at Bradford and then moved back up the road again after that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Dundee United. Um, how was it coming back to Scottish football after that um, couple of years away? Good, good. I was reunited with Alex Smith again, who was manager at Dundee United. Um, actually, had a really good time at Dundee United. Had, had a, a year and a half, two years. Um, and Dundee United were at that point. There was there was quite a lot of kind of to and fro. My players coming in and out. There was a lot of kind of um, a lot of South Americans in at that point, and um, there was a good there was a good core of Scottish players as well. In fact, we did we did great. Talk about characters as well. Some of the characters we had in the dressing room at Dundee United was pretty good. You had Charlie Miller, who again another player who you just don't realise how good a player Charlie was. You know, when he's at Rangers, he's you know he, he, obviously you need to be special to, to come in as a young player at Rangers and stay in the team. But then for him to go and play at Dundee United, and you need to ask Dundee United fans just how good Charlie was. He was a fantastic player, um, and then players like Jim McIntyre, Derek Lilly, um, Jimmy Fullerton, who who um who came in as well? Strong characters, Jim Lachlan, Jason DeVos. It was actually a good dressing room again, but probably didn't achieve what we what we should have at that point. Um, and then Alex Smith again was, but, but Alex, sorry, I, I Alex kind of relieved of his duties again a year later. But got to say that the sort of management that Alex had at Dundee United, some of the coaches, you had John Blackley. Maurice Malpass, Paul Hegarty and Alec. Um, and what a management team that is. You know, if you can't learn off these guys, talk about talk about me being lucky with growing up with Wally and Alec. Now you're then having Heggy and Morris and even John Blackley. What a player John Blackley was in his day. So um so things never, never really worked out, Alec. Um, mm-hmm. and then I was picking up lots of injuries and um my knees and I just I was getting to that point. I was getting really frustrated, and um, I went and played a couple of games down south for a couple of um, Peter Beagley, who I spoke about, who was a teammate of mine at Bradford, was then a player coach at Scunthorpe, and they they were playing a few games. One was an FA Cup, and they were struggling for players, and they gave me a phone to come down and play. So I went down and played a couple of games for Scunthorpe, which was which I really enjoyed. Um, but. To be honest, I was probably getting to that stage. I was getting a bit fed up because I was picking up so many injuries, and mm-hmm. and the fact that I was out for so long and missing so many games, you kind of get into a habit, you know. And 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 then Alec Alec Smith had told me to then go and start doing some coaching badges whilst I was still playing. So I managed to do that whilst I was still playing just before I'd finished. And Alex was going to get me involved with the reserves at Dundee United, and myself and Paul Hegarty and. And then obviously Alec was sacked and Paul Hegarty was interim manager for a few weeks before Ian McCall came in. So then Ian McCall came in and then um, I kind of just faded away. So so that was me. And then I kind of turned my hand into coaching after that. 
Um, we've got a few questions from like, um, other other fans. I'll, I've only got the one from a, a mate of mine. Um, names his name is Alan Rangers fan. Um, he says he was looking to foresee more Rangers. Um, as he looked very excited when you were given the opportunity. But he does ask, where do you see yourself in five years domestically and internationally in terms of your coaching roles? Um, I don't know, as the answer. I don't really look at that far ahead. Um, but you can in football, to be fair. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm really enjoying my role at Dundee at the moment. I'm hoping to to you know try and make a difference to Dundee and, and try and produce some, some players for Dundee. You know, Dundee, maybe back in my day when I was growing up, had a history of producing good young players over the last maybe 10, 15 years. Um, maybe over, sorry, over the last 10 years, maybe Dundee United have produced maybe more players than what Dundee have. So we want to try and we want to try and get to the stage where we're producing our own players and get them into the first team, selling them on. So, you know, I'm looking forward to doing that um, over the next number of years. So in terms of five, six years, no, being healthy, mm-hmm. being healthy and happy, yeah. that's probably the two things I want to be. <laughs> Aye, definitely. Um, after this after this period, that's for sure. Aye. Hmm. Uh, one of the questions I got from Lee, um, so he's asking, I know you mentioned earlier, McCoyston mixed the, maybe kind of some of your favourite players or what you like to play against them and stuff like that. But see, at the park, who did you grow up wanting to be when you're playing football? Um, David Cooper was my hero growing up from a young age. Um, again, I was lucky enough to my dad actually knew his dad because they were from Hamilton as well. So my dad actually, you know, managed to get us to meet Davy um, in his in his house one day when he was, and um, I, I must have been about seven or eight years old. So so to to, to meet Davy at that point when he's your hero and you just go and watch him at Ibrooks, um, and then I was lucky enough to play against him when I was at Aberdeen and he was at Motherwell, um, <clears throat> and again he was. Because I played directly against him, he would speak you through the game. I was a young player at Aberdeen. I remember it so vividly that he would he would speak to you and he would he would um, maybe ask you a question about why did you do this and should you not try and do this to me? You know, he was he was brilliant on the pitch. So so for him for for me to then grow up with him, watching him, and then to then meet him to then play against him was was brilliant for me. So I'd probably say that he's he's my biggest hero. Uh, oh, and one other question: Did you win the goal at Fair Hill? <laughs> of course, I did. Of course, I did. It's funny because probably about I, I found it on Twitter recently, maybe in the last six months, and I was absolutely delighted because nobody had ever remembered it. I was at Fair Hill probably about three years ago. I mean, I was when I was at Dunfermline. I was the first team coach at Dunfermline. And I was standing, and the teams were warming up, and I was standing, and there was a. Um, there was a Patrick Thistle historian standing next to me and there was, there was a couple of guys and and the, the historian actually brought it up to me and I was absolutely delighted and I'm, I'm shouting people over saying, listen to this guy, this guy will tell you about my goal because nobody ever, every time I told people that nobody believed me and I never knew it was, I never knew it was, it was recorded. I didn't know there was any TV cameras that night. So when I seen it on Twitter recently, I thought, yeah, beauty, I can't believe it. I didn't know that. So, so yeah, that was a two each game at Fir Hall. Nicky Walker comes out and a clearance for for the Thistle keeper he's headed it um, it's kind of bouncing all the way up towards the halfway line I've come onto it and I've caught it sweet and I've just lobbed it right over his head of course I can't believe that guy's even questioning whether I meant it well, I know I know it's disgraceful but at least you can show the kids you can show the kids it as well exactly because um, it's tough from that either in terms of like trying to find footage from certain things so there's, no, that there's no the amount of media coverage back then is what there is now 
that's right. That's right. So I was absolutely delighted at that. Um, that, that was caught in camera. So that's that's because the two goals I scored for Aberdeen, believe it or not, that one and the one at Fir Park was was a cross come shot. So two of them are almost flukes, if you like. You know, there was never <laughs> there was never any good goals. <laughs> was that a two 0 midweek game? That middle one. Yeah. Yes, I I was at that game. I don't remember the game, but now that you mention that, I do remember you scoring. So I've actually seen you score. <laughs> yeah, so I was in the way. I was no. I was on an overlap. I think in right in the, the, the touchline in a wide area, right right hand side, and I've tried to cross. It was one of the low crosses, and it's come in near the front post. Now Maxwell, who's a goalkeeper, come in, and I think he's going through his legs. It was a, it was a mistake for him, mm-hmm. and it's going right through. So, um, so myself and Jim Bet scored that night. So that was. That was on the the road to. Oh no, that was the second season. I was going to say that was that was in the kind of lead up to the league decider at Ibrox, but it was the season after that. That goal, I'm sure. Okay. Yeah. Shall we move on to the lower league predictions? Yeah, let's go for it. Um, so we do the lower league predictions game, and you've got the responsibility this week, Stephen. Uh, so no pressure. Uh, obviously, we've been involved with Dundee. We're not going to get you to predict the result of the Morton Dundee game. So the other three games on Saturday, there is, first of all, AL versus or both. So what do you fancy there in terms of score? We um, can have a discount on both. Is, is it Somerset, is it? Yeah, that's Somerset, yeah. I'm going to go for a home win. Yeah. Uh, what's what's the score? score? Oh, sorry, I mean, score. score. It's even tougher. It's not just prediction of that. It's a score as well. It's bonus gonna, points to score. I'm going to go for a win now. One now. Right, OK. Uh, and you're up against Ali Graham, by the way. Uh, that's just who you're Ali Graham. All right, uh, big Ali. And he's wearing the 8-5 just now, so no pressure. <laughs> we, we need a point from you, Stephen. <laughs> um, so next up, we've got Queen of the South against Infermland. Oof. <laughs> that's a tough one. They're always I mean, tough ones every week. We are like... Uh, Queen of the South in great form. I tip them and go down at the start of the season. <laughs> I know, and Infermland are in good form too, aren't they? They picked up a wee bit. Um, I think after they beat Hearts, they nosedived a little bit. They're drawing a lot of games more than winning than losing. To be fair, um, I'm going to go. I'm going to go two-one Queen of the South. There you go. Two-one Queen of the South. Okay, and then last up, you've got Wraith Rovers against Aloha. Mm, again, you don't know what you get from Aloha. Sometimes and then Wraith Rovers as well. Um let's go let's go one each. It's one Astro Turf. How we're playing Astro Turf as well, so I'm gonna go one each. Oh, it's that Wraith. Yeah, so both that's both games in Astro, isn't it? Oh, Sorry, Wraith playing Astro as well. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. okay. No worries. So what's air or both? One nil to air, Queen of the South and Fairmont, you want to Queen of the South, and then Wraith Rovers against Alloa one 0 I'd imagine they will all be close games because um, if you look at the teams in the league, it's very close between pretty much all of them right now, apart from obviously the Hearts. I mean, I don't even think Hearts have been great recently, but they're still pulling away because everyone else seems to be cutting each other's throats. That's right. It's such a touch, tough division, isn't it, to get results? Aye, because it was a point at Alloa looking like they were going to get maybe cut a drift, but they've picked up with five points the last four games. That's right. Yeah. Aye, tough going. And then it doesn't seem like that long ago, Morton, Get out of Hopkins, went in a good run, and then they're in pretty poor form just now. So you just don't know. You don't know at all. at all. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, is it slow fire stuff, John? Yeah, let's get the slow fire stuff in. So um, I'll start with the obvious. Um, what would your death row meal be? Oofed. 
Um, I would go my wife's lasagna. That's a good choice, actually. <laughs> Keep you in the good books as well, with wife. In the good uh, books. What was your tip with that? Um, I'm actually enjoying a, a Beaver Town beer at the moment. I don't know if you've tried it. It's an IPA. So I'm not a, I'm not a drinker, but I, I like a couple of cans of that on a Saturday night. So if it was my, if you make sure my different meals on a Saturday night, I'll have my lasagna and I'll have a couple of cans of that. Um, toughest opponent in your career? Um, I, my, the, the best three, I said, as I said earlier, was Viali, Ravinelli and Del Piero, but probably opponent one-to-one would be Probably Mark Walters. Mark Walters. And seeing as it's a football podcast, what's your favourite pie? Uh, I have choice. It would need to be. It need to be a steak pie. Steak pie. Aye. Good choice. Got to be a steak pie. Proper steak pie, like proper the, steak pie. Aye, the pastry and the steak under it, as opposed to pastry and the steak inside each other. That's not a pie. Aye, no, it's got to be a proper steak pie. Right. Proper, proper steak. That's all right. <laughs> um, right, right. Which of these two um, singles would be your choice? Would it be Northern Lights of Aberdeen or simply the best? Oh. Um, can I say neither? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. Was that your question? Was that someone else? <laughs> no, I enjoyed that down. Yeah, he's trying to throw you under the bus, didn't he? Aye, yeah, he's trying to throw you under the bus. Depends who listens to this this podcast. Tell him what answer I give. We do two edits. <laughs> Go for that. <laughs> The reason I asked that question is because David Robertson in his initiation had to sing um, Northern Lights of Aberdeen. Oh, um, did they? So, <laughs> um, I don't know if they had to. I think Mo Johnson prodded him onto that. What album would you um, listen to in your playlist? Let's top of your playlist. Um, my favourite artist is Paul Weller. So Stanley Road would be my, would be my number one album. But um, the, the album at this moment in time I'm listening to is the new Foo Fighters album. Which is which is top of my list at this moment in time. So if I to pick, if I to pick my all time favourite album, it would be Stanley Road for Paul Weller. Good choice. Remember that growing up when I was a teenager, it was good. Yeah. And then you you, you finishing with the, the showstopper, John? I was waiting to see if you had any more before I did the showstopper. There probably is, um, but I think we're approaching two hours. I think we're in extra yeah. time. Uh, extra time. <laughs> um, right. So you knew this was coming. Then what's uh, the best eleven of players that you've played with in your career? Um, so goalkeeper, it would be a toss-up between Theo Snelders and Andy Gorham, um, and probably I actually did this when I when I when I was in coaching the Rangers last year, and I, I erred in the side of Andy Gorham when I was in the Rangers. So probably now, now looking at it objectively, and I probably played more games with Theo. I'd probably go with Theo Snelders, just because I played more games with him. What's your defence? What's your defence? I know it's up to you what formation you play, but it's 4 4 2 3 5 2. So I'd go 4 4 2. I would go Stuart McKerry, right back. I'd go Alex McLeish, Richard Goff, and David Robertson as my back four. It's not a bad back four. Um, I would go four across the middle. I would go Ryan Loudrup on the right. I would go 
Paul Gascoigne in the middle with him. I would be toying with, with, with two for the central midfield berth next to him. One would either be Stuart McCall or one would be Jim Bett. And I think in a purely football sense, Jim Bett would win it all day long. Sorry, Stuart, if you're listening. But in terms of what Stuart did for me in my career and what he did for Bradford, I think Stuart would probably have to edge it, what he brought to me. So Stuart McCall and Paul Gascoigne in the middle. And on the left, Peter Beagre at Bradford on the left-hand side. And then up front would be Alan McCoy to Ian Jess. I take it your manager's Alex Smith then? Alex Smith. Yeah. Got to be Alex Smith. There's been a few contenders to be that's... fair, John. You know, um, I still think that Kevin Harper team that he rang out with Paul Merson and Robert Brosnan was, was a good a team, win to be fair. I, but, um, I think it was a good team for a night out anyway. <laughs> no, Robbo's Robbo must have a good team as well then he would have picked similar players to me would he not have yeah aye, he did um, I'm trying to think everyone who was that he, he believe it or not didn't pick Gascoigne if I remember rightly but um, he picked Jim Bett in his team um, I know he had McCoist I can't remember the full, full team he had but I think he had a couple of Leeds players to choose from as well from his yeah, right. down south because he picked Ian Hart because right, yeah, Hart, he couldn't pick himself he have been my team all day long Davey yeah, yeah, yeah. can I put yourself in as well by the way no chance that's not me <laughs> that's not me you're, you're underestimate you're a bit, you're, how you wear as a player yeah exactly I, I like a lot of players like that that we've had on mm-hmm. Great yeah, yeah. Listen, I was uh, I, I cut short at thirty one. I had to, I had to retire at thirty one, but I still had I still had a good career. I still lucky enough to have a good career and play with good teams and play with good players. So no, absolutely, I'm quite happy with what I've done. Still being in the game to share your wisdom to the younger generation, which is always good. Um, yeah, trying my best, John. Yeah, trying my best, and that you know it's the second probably the second best thing to play in is coaching. And I'm enjoying working with younger players and trying to help them develop to, to get them to a level. So that's 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 where I enjoy that at this moment in time. Excellent. Well, listen, thanks very much for your time, Stephen. It is appreciated. It's been a um, a pleasure speaking to you, and thanks for giving up nearly two hours of your time as it's done that to be. Um, we'd set aside an hour, so thanks for <laughs> giving us more. But um, no, all the best for you um, at Dundee and um, for the future. Pleasure. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Cheers, Stephen. Pleasure. Thank <laughs> you.